0: Well, several years ago, I was asked advice of someone about something that wasn't explicitly unbiblical, but it seemed unwise. And so being young in the ministry, I went and spoke to a more experienced pastor, and I said, here's the situation. I don't really have a proof text or a passage saying this shouldn't be done, but it just seems unwise. And this wise pastor said, well, if it's unwise, it's unbiblical, because wisdom is a basic biblical category. That's a profound statement. I never forgot it and I've used it often since. If something is unwise, it's unbiblical because wisdom is a basic biblical category. The ability to handle what God gives us well, whether it's decisions we make, whether it's the companions we choose, the spouse we become, the way that we raise our children, what we do with these bodies, with our eyes, with our tongues, with our hands, with our feet, the paths that we choose in life, how we view and earn and spend money, how we live as members of a community, how we respond to those in authority over us. All these practical matters that are part of living life in God's creation, our Creator has given us very specific instructions on. And when we defy them, when we ignore them, life goes harder for us. Uh, My sister-in-law, Christine, is here from Colorado, and they are tremendous skiers, which I am not. And so in the few times that I've gone skiing, And I watch the experienced skiers make their way down the slope and they just bob and tuck and move and they miss the uh, obstacles in their way. And they're able to move around the uh, moguls without breaking their backs and their knees and the inexperienced skiers like myself are stumbling and falling and snow plowing and running into objects and beating ourselves up and bruising. And you can tell someone that can navigate a slope versus someone who can't. And that's what wisdom is, is the ability to navigate life well. According to the principles that the creator of life and the creator of the world has given us he has given us a map He's given us guidance And so this summer we are going to focus on growing in wisdom from the book of Proverbs And so I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs Which is in the center of your Old Testament after jobs and Psalms and before Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon The book of Proverbs, as many of you know, has 31 chapters, so it can be read monthly by reading a chapter daily. But one thing unique about preaching from the book of Proverbs is it's not going to be in very cleanly structured paragraphs. It's not going to be in nice, neatly arranged narratives. The advice is strewn about in a number of compilations for a reason that we'll explore in a little bit. But today we want to look at something that actually does function as a cohesive narrative which is the first seven verses, which functions as a preamble to the book in general. Now, I know we have many Bible scholars here, so I want to recommend two resources to you and then mention a third that I'll be using if you question any interpretation. Uh, The standard commentary for beginners or just people in the pew for more than 40 years has been Derek Kidner's Proverbs in the Tyndale commentary of the Old Testament series. And Derek Kidner is an English scholar and an evangelical who has a winsome, wonderful way with words. And he's able to say a lot and a little in something that just immediately grasps the essence of a proverb and puts it in a turn of phrase that allows you to understand it, remember it, and apply it. So I can't recommend this book highly enough. It's absolutely fabulous. But the standard acknowledged expert on proverbs is a gentleman by the name of Bruce Waltke that was a Hebrews grammarian at Dallas Theological Seminary before he moved to Regent College. And actually the Hoskins took a class with him, with him and had the opportunity to go to Israel with him. And he is one of these giants who is a grammarian, who is an exegete, who is a tremendous scholar, but also is a humbly, humble, holy man who genuinely loves the Lord. And he's done a two-volume technical commentary on Proverbs for those who want to struggle with reviewing their Hebrew. But it's heavy slogging for most. But just in the last six weeks, providentially in time for this series, they have synthesized the two volumes into one and put it in a simplified form that's accessible to pastors or to just people who are familiar with their Bible enough to navigate a very understandable commentary. So, if you would like to read along or add to your library, then Bruce Waltke's new one volume is the best available. As we look at the first verse, it's going to give us the title and the primary compiler of the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now in the Old Testament, the titles of the books typically come from the first word of the Hebrew text. And in this case, the word is Proverbs. And a proverb in English is a short saying that passes on wisdom in a pithy, memorable statement. So you know an abundance of them. Haste makes waste. Early to bed, early to rise, makes a person healthy, wealthy, and wise. The early bird gets the measure twice, cut. You know these, right? Because what they are is the accumulated wisdom of a culture passed on to the next generation in these short, pithy statements. Uh, There's a gentleman who for at least 10 years at every belt promotion at the dojo at the Optimist Optimist Gym judo club says winners never quit and Quitters never win and it drums into those kids my dad's favorite proverb busy hands are happy hands and his kids response is well then our hands are ecstatic (laughs) Because God has blessed us with busy hands and this is a way to put common-sense wisdom into a form that we can pass on, teach, the kids remember it, and then hopefully it gives them guidance for life. But in Hebrews, the word is actually related to the verb, to compare. Because a proverb is a short, pithy statement passing on the accumulated wisdom of a culture that we are to compare ourselves against to see if we are following its instruction. Here's how Bruce Waltke explains it. The purpose of a proverb is to compel the readers or hearers to compare their lives to the truth of the proverb so they can adjust their lives accordingly. So it has this idea, like in James, when it says that we are to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word, and that the fleshly person looks at themselves in the mirror and then looks away and nothing improves, but someone who does it right looks in the mirror and then actually makes changes, that this isn't as pleasing as my wife and the world are going to desire and expect. I need to make some changes around here. Uh, There was a season in my life when I would, while I was shaving and getting ready in the morning, that's when I would meditate on a proverb, and I didn't realize how actually readily wrapped that was. That when you look in a mirror and say, this is off, I'm gonna put it right, when we read a proverb, God is showing us a standard that we're to compare ourselves against, and if we're not meeting that standard, we're to make adjustments. So when we read that we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding, we're to ask ourselves, am I truly entirely trusting God or am I self-reliant? And to the extent that we've been living in self-reliance, we're to make adjustments. I've had to email this proverb in more than one apology Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So when we read that, we have to ask, am I hasty in my speech? Is it in my mind and out my mouth without consideration? You know, the old adage of God has given us two ears and one mouth so that we might use them proportionally. But most of us are hasty in our words. When I read that proverb, it's to be a check to myself. Am I slower to speak Or, one of my favorites, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a person who has no control over his spirit. So like a defenseless city that all its walls are down where the invaders can just come in. That's what it is to live our lives when we are enslaved to our emotions, to our passions, to our appetites. And so we're to ask ourselves when we read that, am I self-controlled? Am I self-disciplined? Am I running things according to the mind that God has given me and not just the appetites that my flesh is always telling me to gratify? So when we read a proverb, it's a comparison. It's a standard that we hold up, look at ourselves, and to say, how closely am I meeting this? And wherever I'm off, I need to get plumb. I need to get right. That's what a proverb is and what it's intended to do. Now, the first verse also indicates the principal compiler, which is Solomon. Now, Proverbs, by their very nature, are anonymous because they just kind of grow up in a culture and then they become part of the cultural heritage. But then certain people in that culture begin to compile them and then they get associated with Aesop or with Confucius or with Benjamin Franklin or with Uncle Remus. And so a certain person will take the Proverbs in his culture, compile them, and then now we know those as the Analects of Confucius, or the Parables of Aesop, or whatever it is. Solomon is the principal author identified with the book of Proverbs, but he's not the exclusive author. And in fact, he's not probably primarily the author because we know that he has taken Proverbs from Egypt. Remember, he married an Egyptian princess? And he has edited them and put them in this book. So, he is a compiler more than a writer of many, although the Bible says he did write many Proverbs. But there are others as well. So, this is a compilation of the wisdom that God has given His people and the Holy Spirit has directed them to put together in our canon so that we would live according to the life and laws that God has given us. Now, you may remember that Solomon was David's son who became king And God appeared to him at night in a dream and said, what do you ask of me? And Solomon said, you have made me king over this plentiful mighty people and I'm just a young boy and I don't know how to go out or come in. Would you give me wisdom and discernment that I might rule them with justice? And you remember God says, because you didn't ask for riches or long life or the death of your enemies, I will make you the wisest, most discerning man, and I'll give you these other things as well so long as you obey me. And Solomon now in the Bible is the wisest person in history other than Jesus Christ. Here's how uh, 1 Kings 10 describes him. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all men. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs. There's about 543 in the book of Proverbs. And so we don't have all the Proverbs that he spoke. Men came from all the peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And you remember the queen of Sheba in Africa had heard rumors of his wisdom and of his wealth. And so she came and she said, I heard, I didn't believe, and now that I see, I didn't know the half of it. And now here's the Queen of Sheba's response. I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes seen it. The half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. How blessed are those around you. How blessed are your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. So the primary compiler and the author of many is the wisest person who ever lived someone who was a king in Israel, someone who was part of God's covenant community, someone who was in dialogue with the priesthood, who went and worshipped in the tabernacle, who was the one that used David's accumulated material to build the temple. And now he has left us this legacy of God's guidance for our lives. And it's ironic in a way that Solomon, the wisest man, is also one of the most foolish of men, because you remember... Solomon accumulated foreign wives for himself. Do you know the number? 700 wives and 300 concubines. And they turned his heart away from the Lord. I saw a t-shirt once that said, Solomon, must, Solomon and I, a 1,001 women. 1,000 for Solomon, one for himself was the point. <laughs> and Solomon became fool when he turned away from that. And so one can be wise and then become a fool. And Solomon is something to emulate in his early days, and then something to avoid in his latter days. So let's look at some of the other authors and compilers of the Proverbs. We have several different headings that are embedded in the book that cue us to the different sections underneath them. 1-1, the Proverbs of Solomon, then 10-1, the Proverbs of Solomon, 25-1, more Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, transcribed. So we had two early collections, Sol, uh, chapters 1 through 9, and then 10.1 through the end of uh 2422. And then later Hezekiah's men transcribed set yet more Proverbs. And so Solomon is the primary author or compiler of this book, but we have others. In 2423, we are introduced to a section called The Sayings of the Wise. In 31 we have the words of Augur, the son of Jacob, the oracle. In 31 the words of King Limuel, the oracle, which his mother taught him. So we have mama's wisdom invested in this as well. And so here are a number of different collections within this. And then there was a final editor sometime around the Persian age or the age of uh, Alexander the Great of what followed who put the book in its final form. What this tells us is, first of all, that the Proverbs originated in a court setting. These are kings, or these are royal officials, who were the first to have the manpower of the scribes, the expensive uh, inks and papyri to be able to put this into scrolls. So these were initiated in the courts, but then they were disseminated in the homes. There were no schools at this time. This isn't just Solomon raising up the next prince to ruse, rule well over Israel. It went from the court where the king had the foresight and the means to put this down, and then it made its way into the community so that the dads and the moms taught it to their families in a household setting. Because that was God's plan from the very beginning. You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that as God gave these laws to Israel, They were to taught by the parents to their children, whether sitting down or standing up, whether going out or coming in. Basically, wherever we are in life, we're always to be passing on God's wisdom to our children so that they don't make a wreck of their lives. And so this was originating in the courts, disseminating in the homes, and passing down from generation to generation with the parents loving their children enough to tell them how to live and not live their lives, which makes this very relevant for us. Because we all still need to hear this wisdom, be reminded of these truths, but then we are intended to pass this on to our spiritual children who are our disciples, to others around us if they're willing to listen to us, and specifically to our children. Because the primary target audience of the book of Proverbs are young men of marriageable age who are getting ready to leave home and start life on their own and the parents are trying to instill in them the wisdoms to run their life well so that they don't go off the rails as soon as they leave the house. And as someone who has a son who just graduated high school about to head off to college and a daughter that's a sophomore, you feel that, right? When your kids are about to leave your home and now I feel all this urgency of, have I shared with them everything I need to? What lessons do I need to review? How do I need to point out to them of, here's the people when I was in college that destroyed their lives by doing these things. Don't do that please. And that's the primary audience. So that's where Proverbs originated, where they were disseminated, by whom the parents to whom the children, passing on the wisdom of God to his people so that we live wise lives. Derek Kidner put it this way There are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophet. And yet decisive and personal dealings and proverbs move in this realm. So if you remember when you learned to drive or taught your teen to drive, one of the things you had to do was pass a driving test on the traffic laws. And there are a set number of very specific laws that they have to obey. Who has the right of lay, right of way at this intersection? How fast can you go? What does this sign mean? But then there's this whole other set of driving that are principles that aren't laws. And so you would tell them to, yes, follow the speed limit, but there are times when it's safer to go with the flow of traffic. If you see yourself coming and the person in the lane isn't paying attention and starts to veer towards you, you should turn your car right, right? Because he'll jerk, you jerk, and maybe you'll avoid each other. Uh, My uncle took both my kids out on icy days and taught them how to drive on icy roads. And that's not in the law books of the state of Texas, but that is wisdom and driving that he's accumulated and he's passed on to them. And when you violate the laws, that's when a police officer kindly stops you enough and warns you or warns you financially, don't do that again, so that you're not a hazard to yourself and others. So there is the law that Moses gave that's very specific, very detailed. And then there are the warnings and the reprimands of the prophets. And then in between is this broad area of wisdom and living that we're passing on. So that's what Proverbs is. Structurally, it has seven main sections in two main parts. Chapters one through nine are preparing the hearts of the hearers to receive wisdom. And in these first nine chapters, we're going to see 10 appeals from a father or a mother to a son saying, "Hear my son. Now listen to me, O oh son." And of course that would mean son or daughter. Ten different times we have the parents exhorting them. Now listen up, listen carefully, pay attention. Uh, in the refrain of my brother, wise, or wise choices, David often say to his kids, wise choices. And so 10 times in nine chapters, the parents say to the child, listen up, you're drifting off, listen up, pay attention. And then interspersed in this, wisdom speaks. And wisdom in the book of Proverbs is a personification. It's a, r- a rhetorical literary device where now, Proverbs appeals to the young person, the naive, the simple, the simple-minded to listen to wisdom before it's too late, to avoid the dangerous companions and to align yourself with people who are going to make good choices with you and help you make good choices. And so all of this is going on in the first nine chapters. And this prepares us in the back half of the book or the back two-thirds with specific Proverbs, normally in couplets, giving us advice on a whole realm of life. How do you pick a spouse, be a spouse? How do you view a child, raise a child, discipline a child? How do you earn money, be an employer, be an employee, be a citizen, be a king? And all of these are going to be scattered about. So when we preach this, we're not going to be able to, other than today, focus on one set of verses, but rather glean the wisdom sayings here and there because they're distributed throughout the book. And you can see the subsections that are there. Ultimately, Proverbs are in our Bible, which means that the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. God appeared to Moses face to face, and He gave him revelation, and even wrote the Ten Commandments in his own finger, and that was one form of revelation. And God appeared to others in dreams and visions. But God appealed or revealed Himself to the compilers of Proverbs, sometimes by just giving them Proverbs that they inherited, edited, and included. And then sometimes by just looking out at life and God giving them insight and inspiring them to pass that on. And so it'll say, go to the ant, O sluggard, and see a creature that God made that even though it doesn't have kings and rulers and bosses and managers, knows to prepare its food in the summer to be ready for the wintertime. Or someone is sitting outside and looking at the field of a slothful person that little by little the neglect and the negligence led to the deterioration of the property and now everything's overgrown and he can't support his family anymore. And that observation is the way that God revealed the truth that is inspired revelation to us. And sometimes in the first nine chapters especially, we'll see the dad put his arm around his boy and say, Come here, you see that nincompoop walking down the street towards the Red District? Watch what's going to happen. You see that numbskull? These are some of Mel's favorite uh, terms. Mel will call us nincompoop, numbskull. What's his other one? Dipstick. Dipstick. Thank you. (laughs) A number of us have been called dipsticks by Papa Mel. And Papa Mel's put in his armrests and said, now dipstick, don't do what that person did. Don't do what I just saw you do again. And that's going to be a form of revelation. But this is inspired words of Scripture that we are to obey and heed even though they come in a different form than other sections of our Bible. So now let's jump in. What are the purposes of Proverbs? We get them in verses 2 through 6, where almost every line begins with the word to that's an abbreviated form of in order to. So Solomon, the king, the son of David, collected the Proverbs in order to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding to receive instruction in wise behavior and in righteousness and justice and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion, and to do all these things. If you're smart, if you're wise, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So here we're given... Four descriptions of the audience of Proverbs, the naive or the simple, those that just don't know enough of life to know that there's people out there who will exploit them and deceive them and cheat them and hurt them. Uh, I was in a Bible study once going through the book of Exodus, and we were in the early chapter about how Moses' parents put him in the basket and then saved him from Pharaoh's soldiers that way. And someone in the back raised his hand, he was a new believer, and he says, how far did the basket float? dead silence. And the pastor goes, I'm going to call you fresh snow because there's nobody that's walked on you. He had never had a Bible. He bought his Bible on the way to the Bible study. He was just naive. He was simple. And this is a book for those who just don't know or for the youth that just don't have enough life experience. And so now let's offer the wisdom. But it's also for the wise, those that are smart enough to listen and take notes. Those that know, they don't know. Part of Solomon's wisdom was being wise enough to know he wasn't wise enough to rule over Israel. And so we asked. And in his acknowledging of his inadequacy, God gave him sufficiency. And so here are some of the purposes. And we can't go through this exhaustively, so I just want to make four observations about this list. The first is that the Proverbs are cognitive, that they should inform and shape the way that we think and view the world. Know, discern, understand, instruction, understanding, knowledge, prudence, discretion, increase in learning, acquire counsel. If we're not going to be conformed to this world, if we're not going to be deceived by the devil, then we need a better source of information. And so God says this isn't just behavioral learning to do this, not do this. You need to learn how the world works and what to do and what not to do because wisdom is not instinctive. So when God made the world, there is a large portion, the largest portion of his creation that is inanimate, and it just instinctively naturally obeys the laws of nature, and so the earth orbits around the sun and the moon orbits around the earth because as inanimate objects, they just obey God's laws of physics and chemistry. And then God has another portion of his creation and they obey biological laws. And so the birds start flocking south in a particular season. They begin to mate in a particular season. They begin to do certain behaviors when their body triggers them in certain ways. And there is instinctive behavior that they're obeying God's biological laws. But then there are angels angels and men and women that are made in His image, that He gives mind and self-awareness and choice and free will. And now God doesn't make us do things automatically. He teaches us truth and gives us choices. So I'm telling you this, will you believe me? I'm commanding you this, will you obey me? And then he leaves it up to us to decide what we do, and then he'll judge, reward or punish the choices that we make. God dignifies us with choice. So we have the physical laws, we have the biological laws, and then we have the moral laws that need to be taught, received, and applied. And God leaves it up to us to do those things. The Proverbs are, secondly ethical. They should inform and shape how we act, righteousness, justice, equity. Are we righteous in that we treat people as God wants us to treat them? Do we pursue justice that when something is unjust and unrighteous that we try to redress it? Are we equitable in that we treat all people identically because all are made in God's image? God made the rich and the poor alike. We love all because they're made in the image of God. And there is an ethical component to wisdom. There are two main categories of people in the book of Proverbs, as we'll see next week. There's the wise person and the fool. And the wise person is synonymous with the righteous. And the fool is synonymous with the wicked. So this isn't just people who are shrewd enough to play the stock market well. These are people who love the Lord enough to emulate his behavior. That because he is holy, we are holy. And there's an ethical component to Proverbs. Thirdly, the Proverbs are practical. They must be applied. Solomon knew all kinds of wisdom. He had a breadth of knowledge like the sands of the shore, the Bible says. But he chose to ignore it when he chose to take foreign wives who worship foreign gods and they turned his heart and it led Israel to destruction. And so everything here isn't just a theoretical exercise. It's not just something about do's and don'ts. We are expected to live this out daily in the daily decisions that we make. That every day we face a large number of choices of what will I watch, what will I listen to, how will I speak to this person, will I snub this person or greet this person, someone has snubbed me, how will I respond, will I spend time with God or will I rush into my day, will I live for myself or will I live for God and others. And that is the nature of our day are these countless decisions that we make and for all of them we need God's wisdom to make good choices, to make right choices. And fourthly, Proverbs primarily give wisdom. Wisdom is a word in the Old Testament that means skill, either intellectual or physical. And so in the book of Exodus, when God gives Bezalel and others the ability to build the tabernacle, to work with wood, to work with metal, to work with precious gems, to make cloth, to make the curtains. All of those skills, those artistic abilities, are called wisdom. In the book of Ezekiel, shipbuilders and sailors are called wise because they're skillful. And so in the book of Proverbs, when we take this concept of wisdom equals skill, wisdom is skill at living. It's skill at being prudent, at being discerning, at making wise choices. And we have all known people who just seem to navigate life well. They seem to know how to do well in school, how to get along with people, how to apply for a job, how to get a job, how to keep a job. They just navigate life well. And then we know people who are foolish and they seem to hit every pothole and every uh, rain puddle and every nail that's in the road. They just seem to not be able to keep their cars out of the gutter. Uh, My great-grandfather had a category of people he called strictly cannon fodder and they just, People that he didn't consider very sharp, very wise, very good. And he said, that's strictly cannon fodder. And we know people like that. And Proverbs wants us to navigate life well. Because God, the book of Proverbs says, used wisdom to make this world. God made this world wisely. And he established laws and principles that if we follow them, then we can navigate life well. But when we defy them and ignore them, it becomes a rough and a bumpy ride. And so when you spit downwind, that's acting wisely. When you spit into the wind, that's acting foolishly because God made the wind to blow a particular direction. When you go downstream or downhill, you're moving wisely. When you go unnecessarily upstream and uphill, that's foolish. You're going against the grain of the universe. When you cut with the grain, that's wise. When you cut across the grain, that's foolish. And so God is trying to tell us, I designed marriage, and so when you do marriage my way, it can be the great joy and the blessing that I intend it to be, but if you don't, it's gonna be one of the most painful, torturous things that you'll ever experience. So please do marriage wisely, not foolishly. God says, I'm gonna make you co-creators, I'm gonna let you birth these beautiful beings, but then the babes become two, and then they become teens, and along the way, there's hard things that happen in parenting, And so God says, I really want you to do that right, because it's really important for your kids and it's really important for the community and it's really important for your home. And all of us are making choices about our careers and our possessions and what we do with our body and what we do with our time and how we respond to these different scenarios. And God loves us enough to tell us, I've designed the universe to work like this. And so if you'll be diligent, honest and uh, reliable, you'll be a good employee and you'll always find work. But if you're slothful, deceitful, and unreliable, you're going to go from job to job and not be able to provide for your family. So please be wise. Wise up. Be diligent, not slothful. Be truthful, not deceitful. Be uh, reliable, not unreliable. And we do this as parents. Uh, I know a dad that I admired that wrote his daughters a large series of wisdom for living and in their last thousand days he started a thousand day countdown and then intermittently in that ta- that last uh, 10 to the third that he had available to him he gave them wisdom for life because he loved his daughters dearly and didn't want them to make mistakes that would ruin their life uh, we know another gentleman who collected and it, it's now gone down in the family of jack brandon proverbs for life and it's not especially profound in every place it's one of it was Brandenburgers don't do special orders at restaurants. So he never went up to the restaurant and went through the beating of, I want no ketchup. I want no mustard. I want double this. I want no of this because he wanted to teach his kids. I want you to be grateful for what you get. And I want you to be simple and not complicated. I want you to be respectful for those who are buying your food. And so one of the Brandenburger laws was we don't do special orders. And he was trying to instill a lesson in his kids. Uh, I remember with our kids trying to pass on certain life lessons and principles because we love them so much. And like a kid, when he gets rid of the training wheels and you start to launch them out on their own, or when they get a car and you see them going off on their own and you know the stakes have gotten higher. And then they launch and go off into life and you know the stakes are really high. And the safety net is way far down. And you've seen people crash and burn. And we want to pass on. Here's how you navigate these scenarios. At work, at school, at home. And that's what Proverbs is doing. It's our Heavenly Father saying to us, I love you so much, I'm trying to tell you how I've designed the universe to work. So do it the easy way, not the hard way. Do it the wise way, not the foolish way. Do it the righteous way, not the wicked way. Fatherly advice to his children. The key to Proverbs comes in verse 7. The fear of the Lord... Is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, fear is a word that can mean awe, and God is awesome, He awes us. When Isaiah is brought into his throne room, he falls as though he's a dead man. When we're given glimpses of his throne room in Ezekiel and in Revelation, we see God in just some vague description of his glory because God is omnipotent and all-knowing and he is holy, 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 and he is perfect and he is righteous and he is good. And that awes us, which means if we're wise, we'll listen to what he says and obey what he commands. And fear can also mean reverence. And if we revere someone, then we'll listen to what they teach us and we'll obey what they command us. And if we don't revere them, then we won't. So if children disrespect their parents, they don't don't listen to their parents, and then they suffer the consequences when they make choices that their parents would have spared them. If we don't revere our doctor, we disregard our doctors, and that can have catastrophic consequences if we ignore someone that we should be listening to. At work, at school, in a number of different formats, if I don't respect this person, I won't listen to that person. And so the starting point of knowledge is, do you revere God enough to listen to Him? Because at the end of the day, most of wisdom is going to come down to, who do you trust and who do you obey? God gave Satan self-awareness, and Satan chose to be self-willed. And so he chose not to submit himself to God, but rather would want to make himself equal with God, and he suffered judgment. Satan went to Eve, deceived her. Eve chose to listen to Satan rather than what God had spoken through her husband Adam, and that had devastating consequences. Adam chose to listen to Eve and not to his God, and that's had catastrophic consequences for the rest of us. So at the end of the day, most of wisdom in Proverbs is going to come down god through the holy spirit is telling you this do you revere him enough to listen to him and believe that are you in awe of him enough to obey what he commands or are you going to disregard that and then there are a large number of places where fear just means what it says fear and the bible says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living god That Adam and Eve could commit one violation and be evicted from Eden for the rest of their lives. That the world would rise up in violence and in wickedness and God would flood that world away. That Uzziah would enter into the throne room and as a king would try to offer sacrifice that was reserved for the priest. And God would smite him with leprosy. And God is a judge. He sees all. He knows all what we think, what our desires are, what our motives are, what we say, what we do, and we are answerable and accountable for that. And so if we're wise, we will live our lives knowing that there is a reckoning coming and that we will obey God and trust him so that we don't have to face him and to answer for those things when he faces us as our judge. And none of us have done this. So we don't find explicit mentions of the gospel in the book of Proverbs. And so I want to explicitly talk about the gospel in the book of Proverbs now. Because as we get into this, what we're going to see is that we don't do this. That we haven't done this perfectly. Uh, there's an author I like named Ursula Le Guin, and she wrote a series I like and recommended often called the, the Sea Trilogy. And it's said in a world where most of things are water and a young magician named Ged is being mentored by this wise magician and he has a choice to make. Will he stay on the island and be just a goat herder but sit under a wise, mature man? Or will he go off to Roke and become a great wizard and achieve all the fame and the fortune? And of course he wants the fame and the fortune and off to Roke he goes and in a foolish contest unleashes a demon that wreaks havoc on himself and others. And he goes flying back to his master. And this is the phrase that stuck with me so often, master, I return as I left a fool. I left a fool. I return a fool, but I'm ready to wise up now. And he does. And none of us have been completely wise. All of us have made foolish choices. And God loved us enough to let the consequences of those choices fall on his son so that they wouldn't have to fall on us. As we get into Proverbs and see just how foolish we've been, just how far short of that standard we fall, it's going to be convicting in some good and healthy ways because God wants us to make changes to wise up. But we also need to know that provision has been made for all of those bad choices, for all of those catastrophic decisions, and Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all of those sins and is willing to forgive us and to give us a fresh start if we'll let him. Because the most foolish thing that a sinner can do is reject the Savior that God has sent. And God did send one that the Bible says is the fullness of the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ, who is the only one that lived life perfectly and met all of God's righteous standards is the only one that God could truly and fully say, well done. And that same one died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and he will forgive us if we ask him and we will become a new creation in Christ and be given a new nature that can obey God and he'll open the eyes of our hearts to understand God's word and to desire to obey him if you let him. So as we enter into this summer of leaving folly to pursue wisdom, The wisest thing that we can do as sinners is embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior and live for Him as God intends. The most foolish thing that we can do as sinners is to reject Jesus Christ and face God on our own someday and to answer for all the things that we did wrong and all the good things we didn't do right. As Dave would say, wise choices. Wise choices. Accept Christ, be forgiven, and let the Spirit come in and indwell us and enable us to understand God's word, to apply it to our life, and to navigate life more skillfully as he intends because he's a good father who's raising us and a good shepherd that we're following. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for the wisdom books of the Old Testament, Job, Psalms, and Proverbs, that teach us how to handle life in the midst of its suffering and trials in the midst of its temptations and choices, and in the midst of its temporality and disappointments. And we thank you that you have loved us enough to give us these sayings, these adages, these maxims, these epigrams, these proverbs. And we pray that you would use this summer to help us grow in righteousness, to grow in wisdom, to forsake our folly, to forsake our wickedness, so that we can have the homes and the families, and the relations, and the lives that you intend to us. So, Lord, would you please keep us close unto the Savior? Would we follow faithfully in his steps? Would we emulate his model? Would we appeal for the power of his Spirit? And would we listen to these words that you have inspired for our instruction? Make us wise, we ask, O God, in your Son's name. Amen.